Welcome to the weekly podcast of Trinity Life Church. We are a local church that gathers in downtown Toronto on Sundays and all throughout our city during the week. Now our mission is to help people discover their identity and destiny in Christ so we can influence our city, our country, and our world. If you're looking for a place to call home, we'd love to have you. Our services are Sunday from 10.30 to noon at Jarvis Collegiate. Enjoy this week's podcast. reading the scripture, uh, which is coming out of Colossians. Uh, This is Colossians 4, starting in verse 2. It says, continue steadfastly in prayer, being watchful in it with thanksgiving. At the same time, pray also for us that God may open to us a door for the word to declare the mystery of Christ on account of which I am in prison, that I make it clear which is how I ought to speak. Conduct yourselves wisely toward outsiders, making the best use of time. Let your speech always be gracious, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how you ought to answer each person. I'm I'm, going to basically cut my sermon to a third of what I had planned. So... (laughs) So, the time-wise, I'm going to say everything that I was going to say in 45 minutes and 15 minutes. No. <laughs> but I'm going to go really fast. So try to hang on, um, and hopefully it'll be God-honoring. Uh, we're in our Discover Together series. And, and remember, Discover is our word for the year. Together is our word that we've been talking about this month and how we want to be together in relationships, and, and, and we talked about to single together, and dating together, and married together, but today we're talking about church together. And all this is kind of leading up to, to that. We're in the same passage, chapter four of the same passage, and you see in here that we started out with identity in Christ and moved to, okay, put, put off these things, therefore, which are of the flesh that are that like anger and malice and wrath and all these things. And then now that you've done that, because you're in Christ and he's conquered, now you can pick up these clothes and put them on. And those are like humility and gentleness and patience and bearing with one another in love and, and unity in the spirit and all those things. And, and guys, all that is the foundation of what Paul talks about in kind of the, the interim verses between that passage and this one, where he says, uh, wives with your husbands, you're this way. Husbands with your wives, you're this way. As, as you're an employee, you're this way. As you're a boss, you're this way. Kids, you're this way. All that was a foundation for those three or four verses in there. And now we're picking back up in chapter four. And, and he, says, he, he says that uh, we're, to, we're to walk in a certain way. Guys, one of the first things I notice about people is the way they walk. I know, that's kind of weird. Um, you notice a lot of things about people, uh, and, and it's probably not always consciously right. I'm not consciously thinking about it, but, but uh, there's just things that you pick up on, on when you first meet somebody, and for me, it's always been, been the way somebody carries himself and how they walk. And, and guys, there's whole, there's whole sciences on this. There's whole departments and schools on this. There's whole projects on this. There's been a lot of money that's put into what's called gait analysis. So how you walk is called your gait, right? G-A-I-T. 
And, and so there's a lot of money that's put into what's called gait analysis, how someone carries themselves and how they walk. Uh, and there's also been a lot of money put into gait recognition software. You know, you go in the airport, well, I don't know, if you have Nexus, you do your iris. You know, there's facial recognition software. If you have an iPhone, new iPhone, um, what is it, 16 now? What are we on with iPhones? Um, uh, and, or, or fingerprints, right? So if you think about your gait, a lot of scientists would say it's as unique as your fingerprints or your iris or your face. And you can actually recognize a person by the way they walk. And it says something about the person. Whether your inference is valid or invalid, right? Because the science behind it is a little sketchy. Uh, like, I don't know what you can actually tell by a person by the way they, they walk, but um, there's a lot of money put into the science of it. And think about it. Some people walk with long strides and they walk fast. Some people, you know, when they, when they walk, you hear like the shuffling of their feet, right? They don't actually pick their feet fully off the ground. Some people walk uh, pronated where their, their, their feet are kind of in and some people walk kind of supinate where their feet are out. Some people walk pigeon-toed, some people walk duck-footed, right? Some people walk slow and some people walk fast. There's like a whole way of, of walking and, and a lot of scientists though would say that, a lot of people who study this, that you can actually boil all that down and generalize it and simplify it into two ways of walking. An old gait and a young gait. Now that doesn't mean older people walk this way and younger people walk this way. It could mean you're a younger person but you have an old gait. Okay, and, and vice versa. You can be an older person and have a young gait, right? Um, and, and so thinking about like, uh, older gait may be more methodical and, and shuffly maybe, uh, and younger may be more, more poppy and, and quick, right? Uh, those are, that's severely reductionistic, but you get, you get my point here. Um, and, and what's funny is one of the first things I noticed about Missy, uh, if you guys don't know her story, when I first met Missy, she was sitting down. She was sitting down in the classroom and I just went up and, and sat next to her, introduced myself, we started talking, and then after that session was over, we got up and we walked out, and one of the first things I noticed about her was the way she walked. Um, I don't know if I've ever told you this. Uh, now, now I'm telling you this in front of all these people. One of the first things I noticed, because I was, well actually, that was after I noticed how short she was. Because she was sitting down, right? I had no idea she was that short. Um, and then, and then she, had, and then just the way she walked, because I don't know, I had this thing with the way at that time in my life. Uh, I was, that was like almost 20 years ago. It was 18 years ago. At that time in my life, had this thing about uh, the way girls carried themselves and, they, and the way they walked. And um, and I was like, okay, she's, and she really impressed me with the way she carried herself. And what actually impressed me even more was that I have a long stride and I walk fast which a lot of people would say that means I'm like extremely extroverted. See, the science is totally wrong. Uh, <laughs> and, and I noticed that she kept up with me really easily. And, and it, didn't, it didn't like stop her, yeah, she, she almost molded her gait to mine, okay? And she still does that today. Um, and here's, so I'm not saying all this, like I don't want you to feel self-conscious now, you're like, oh shoot. <laughs> He's judging me by my gait, by the way I walk. Um, 
No, it's, it's actually what makes you unique. It's part of discovering who you are. It's part of you as a person. And you might still say, well, I'm still self-conscious. But maybe you should be. Or at least self-aware. Because the Bible says that there is a certain way that a follower of Jesus walks. And the Bible actually boils it down for us. And the good news for us who are followers of Jesus, and the Bible isn't talking about your gait necessarily, right? It's talking about your way of living, your life, your walk. And there's a certain way a follower of Jesus walks. And so self-awareness is key here. The good news for us is that we don't do it alone. We actually get to walk together. And he says here in the first verse of this passage we're talking about today, he says, verse 2, continue steadfastly in prayer. So think about this in the way we walk like Jesus. We are doing this. Continue steadfastly in prayer. When he says steadfastly, he's saying persevere in it. Devote yourself to it. Be strong in it is what this word literally translates as. He's like, keep on doing it and keep on moving forward in it and do that in prayer and be watchful in it. Watchful, vigilant, alert, awake with thanksgiving. Be grateful Do it thankfully. And guys, I had a whole thing in this verse on prayer and (laughs) and all that, but we kind of got to cut that out now. Um, But yeah, there's there's a whole bunch packed in in this one verse. So I'm just going to say this one thing on this verse, uh, which probably turned into 10 or 15 things. But I'm going to start with this one thing, is that he says to be watchful in prayer. One of the, one of the, biggest, chiefest failures, sins of the church today is that we are not watchful, that we are not vigilant, that we have fallen asleep, that we are complacent, that we have almost thrown in the towel. It's why Paul says over and over again in the scriptures that he says, wake up. He says, awaken. It's time for you to awake from sleep, he says. Say to your neighbor, awake from sleep. Yeah. Like, wait, was he sleeping? (laughs) Yeah, wake up. Paul says this in Romans 13. He says, awake from sleep. And why does he say that? He says, awake from sleep because salvation is nearer to us today than when we first believed. Salvation is near to a state when, oh, guys, I could go, I could preach a whole sermon on that one, like, a whole series. Like, salvation is near to us today than when we first believed, meaning you don't actually have salvation yet. Now you're saying that's, that's a bit blasphemous. And I'm saying continue steadfastly, which is what Paul is saying. There's this almost like already not yet aspect to salvation, guys. And you're like, oh, wait, what are you saying? Are you saying, like, I can have it and I can lose it? No. You can't have what you don't 
own, right? It's not your salvation. See what we've done here? We've individualized our salvation, our rescue for us. It's not yours. The psalmist says in, in uh, Psalm 51, restore to me the, the joy of whose salvation? Your salvation. I hear that misquoted all the time as, restore the, me the joy of my salvation. No, he said, restore me the joy of your salvation. You're the one who did this. You're the one who saved me. So you can't lose what you don't have. Okay, let's get that out of the way. Let's get that clear. But those who are going to be saved, like God started a work in us that he's going to finish. Uh, he, he says salvation is nearer to us than we first believed. Means, means it's not here yet. Right? Jesus hasn't actually rescued us completely yet. Oh, I know you guys are thinking, oh, that's blasphemy. And I, I, maybe I shouldn't even have said that because I don't have time to, to talk about all this. Because you are saved, okay? The Bible talks about that. You are saved. But Jesus is saving you. He's saving us. He's saving the church. He's rescuing us. He's in the process of it. You are sanctified, but he's still sanctifying you. Right? It's this present indicative in the Greek that is continual and saying he's doing it over and over and over again constantly. And we are now in the process of being saved. Now, it started punctiliarly, right, right at a point in time, but there's also a progression to it. And Paul says it's nearer to us today than when we first believed. Like, you got a taste of it. You got a taste of it. And now the fullness, you're getting closer and closer to the fullness of it when Jesus is going to return and rescue us. So persevere in it. Persevere in it. Yes, and, and if you still think I'm blaspheming, look up Perseverance of the Saints. It's a, it's a theological doctrine that's ages of years old. Um, I don't have time to go into all of it. But we have to persevere. We have to continue steadfastly. And one of the ways we do this is through prayer. And we're going to do a whole series. Our next series, starting next week, is all about prayer. It's all the songs of the scriptures, all through the Bible, all about prayer. So we're going to tease out prayer there um, and, and, and really dive in deep there and talk about what this means for us as a church. But, but today, guys, I just want you to wake up. Salvation is nearer to you today than when you first believed. And you have to persevere in that. You have to if we're the church. And it's, it's tough. I get it but we have to persevere in it because we are being saved. And oh, there's so much else. I, I, just talk to me afterwards if you have questions about that. If you're online right now, don't think I'm a heretic. Like, yeah, guys, if you're new here, I was a theology professor. Like, I love theology. We can talk about it. You can talk to me about it later. Um, I don't have time to go into it right now. Um, but... Uh, so it's more complicated than you think. Guys, okay, one more thing on this. You, we've been duped into the gospel of salvation when we should be believing in the gospel of the kingdom. Now, the gospel of salvation, it's not that it's bad. It's just severely reductionistic. It's simple. I was talking to Emerson this week on the way to school. She's my nine-year-old, and she's talking about setting her mind on Jesus. She's like, Daddy, I want to do this. How do, I, how do I do this? And I was like, well, wh why do you want to do this? And she's like, well, because Jesus died for my sins. And I said, that's right, but is that salvation? And she said, I think so. And I said, you're really close. And she's nine, guys. 
for most of us in here, we still think that's the fullness of the gospel, that you are, that you are forgiven of your sins. That's just the beginning. I told Emerson, you just got in the house. Like, that's the threshold. The blood is on the doorposts, and the blood of the lamb is on the doorposts, and, all, and we just stepped under the threshold. We're clean. We're forgiven. There's no more, no more um, shame or guilt for us, no more condemnation. Now explore the abundant life. And I urged her into that, and she, guys, you should see in her face. For me to talk about the abundant life that way, that forgiveness of sins, that because she said, oh, so I can be with Jesus in heaven one day. I was like, no, you can be with Jesus right now. Yes. Like, his will be done here as it is in heaven. Right? Like, that is us being saved and reconciling the world to Jesus. So we are bringing heaven here. Jesus started that process for us. And guys, so you may just be on the threshold, Right? But who hangs out in the foyer of someone's house the whole time they're there? We're all hanging on the couch, guys. We're all, like, watching the Super Bowl. We're all cooking dinner and eating nachos and all that. And you're just, like, in the foyer with your boots on, saying, I'm here. And we're like, hey, hey, hey. Yeah, cool. Come on in here. Come on in here. And you're like, I'm good. <laughs> no, we want you to, we want to celebrate this together. Right? And, and that's the gospel of the kingdom. It's much bigger. It includes the gospel of salvation, but it's much bigger than that. And it's not just individual. It's corporate. It's, it's corporate, guys. Like, don't individualize your salvation. Okay? All right. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> Is that just verse one? Okay. Um. I know. Okay, let's go to the third verse. Let's go to verse 3, verse 3. This is intercessory prayer. At the same time, Paul says, pray for us. He's he's praying for evangelism. He says, pray for us to declare the mystery of Christ, that I may make it clear. So what is the mystery of Christ? So he's asking the church there to intercede on his behalf. This is intercessory prayer. Um, We'll talk about that more in our next series. But he's asking the church to, to intercede and... And he says, uh, and he says, so I can reveal the mystery of Christ. So what is the mystery of Christ? Colossians 1 says the mystery of Christ is this. That Jesus is the hope of glory. Think about mystery. It's something that's being revealed. It's something being uncovered, okay? That's what this word means in the Greek. It's, it's being uncovered. So, so Jesus is the hope of glory, and we can be that, because he can come and live inside us. That's the mystery of Christ. Ephesians 5 puts it this way. It says, the mystery of Christ is that God became a man. He laid his life down after living a perfect, sinful life, sinless, sinless, sinless life. Say that three times for like emphasis. A sinful, sinless life. He, he laid his life down. He died for us. He gave himself up for us so that we could be reconciled to him and reconcile all things to him, and we can live the life that we've always longed for, that deep down we know we need and we want, and he's the only thing that completes us. That's the mystery of Christ. So when Paul says that, all that is packed in this word, and why is it a mystery? What makes it a mystery? Well, two things. One, it sounds ludicrous on the surface. 
It sounds ridiculous. Those of you guys who've grown up in the church, you're, maybe you haven't thought below the surface yet, but think about like the ocean on the surface. You can't see what's going on underneath. On the surface, you're like, uh, it just looks ridiculous. That message that someone died on a cross 2,000 years ago and it has an impact and effect on my life today, that sounds like foolishness. And Paul says it does. To a lost and dying world, it sounds like foolishness. There's, but if you go deeper, you see that there's full ecosystems under the ocean, right? There's coral reefs, there's whale sharks, there's, there's um, all this stuff happening, currents and all this stuff happening underneath the ocean. If you can just get below the surface and say, maybe there's something to this. Because the second reason this mystery is because deep down, whether you are a follower of Jesus or not in here today, you know that if what I just said is true, that it would change your life for the better. That it would be so amazing if it was just true for you. If that could just be true, that would change everything for me. And so hopefully this morning we're uncovering that and revealing the mystery of Christ. So Paul says, help me make that clear to people. Why? Because he's going into, and he is, and guys, wake up, church, we are in immense spiritual warfare, and the spirit of the age is confusion. And just read the news on your phone. Anyone see, anyone see uh, the presidential debates, the Democratic debate last week? We were, me and Matthew were talking about that. Um, it's utter confusion and distraction. That's the spirit of the age, Right? And, and he says, I need clarity for this message. I need clarity. And, and so uh, for us, we are the church. We're in the midst of spiritual warfare, and you guys got to wake up. Like everything around you, if we could see what was going on around us, we could see the spiritual world, it would be nuts, guys. It'd be crazy. Who knows what's even in this room right now? Well, I want to rebuke the spirit of confusion that's in this room right now. Like in Jesus' name, you don't have any place here. Right? This is a place for the spirit because God's people are here. And so these are the ways in which we walk as a church. And in verse 4, or sorry, verse 5, he says, walk in wisdom toward outsiders. Now, outsiders is just saying those who aren't followers of Jesus, those who are, who are on the outside looking in. It's not because we've excluded them. It's because they haven't chosen to cross the threshold yet. Right? So they're on the outside. Now, it's our job to walk with wisdom to bring them in, right? And so he says, walk with, walk with wisdom toward outsiders, making the best use of the time, which I'm not doing right now. So um, making the best use of the time. I'm going to say a couple things on this. Ugh, I have a bunch of stuff to say on this. So um, making the best use of the time. Oh, man. Okay, I don't even know if I want to open this door. I'm going to open a little bit. Um, personal application here for you guys. One of the chief idols in our city is busyness. Nine people out of ten, when I ask them how they're doing, you know what they say to me? I'm busy. I'm busy. And I'm like, that doesn't tell me how you're doing. Um, and everybody is. Well, not everybody. <laughs> But we all have the same amount of time. 
Some people would use it more wisely than others, right? He says, make the best use of the time. But here's the thing, guys. You make time for what is important to you. You make time for your priorities. And he says, make the best use of it. We all have the same time. And you may say, oh, well, I'm, I have four kids, and I'm married, and I work you know, 60 hours a week, and I uh, play sports over here, and I do, like, hey, that's your choice. Don't talk to me about your schedule like it controls you. You made that happen. That is your choice. When Paul says make the best use of the time, it's a command that you have control to take control of your schedule. You have control to say yes to this and no to that. So don't tell me your job has you working 60 hours a week and you can't do anything about it. You know what I'm going to say? Quit your job. Talk to your boss first. first. (laughs) And then quit your job. No. Like, yeah, we talked about this this week. Now, you can say to your boss, no, I'm not working on weekends. No, I leave here. Guys, I can tell you a story. Missy did this in her early days. I can tell you stories about this. And Adam's done this. I can tell you multiple people who've done this and said, no, I am not going to compromise what's valuable and important to me. And, and for them, this was, this was about the church, it was about ministry, about living for Jesus. And I'm not going to compromise that for a job. And you're like, ooh, why need that job to make money? Well, maybe you're compromising for money. Guys, and you're you're like, hey, well, I'm a student here, so I don't have to think about this. Well, (laughs) how how many times do you you go to study? And and I hear this from students. You're like, well, I have to study. Is someone making you do that? You don't have to do anything you don't want to do. So don't tell me you have to study. Say, well... I feel like I need to or I want to, but don't tell me you have to do it. Guys, you get to choose this. And those of you guys who have kids, you're like, oh, well, we're so busy with our kids' activities and stuff. Hey, take your kids out of those activities. Like, you're just showing me that's what's important to you. Guys, make the best use of your time. Why? Ephesians 5.16, Paul says the same refrain. He says, because the days are Evil. The days are evil. We put ourselves more into some evil things than we do uh, the things that we should be making a priority sometimes. And I'm not saying that's your job or anything like that. I'm just saying, guys, make the best use of your time and stop blaming your boss or your job or your family or your wife or your husband or your kids or stop using them as excuses. A lot of new parents, all the new parents this morning who just, who just dedicated their kids. We just dedicated your kids, right? Um, I don't ever want to hear you use your kid as an excuse, but that is something a new parent always does. They use their kid as an excuse for stepping back from responsibility and commitment and this, on oh, my kid, this. Uh, no, guys. Like, we have two kids. Talk to these. There's a few, there's a few older people in the room. Um, I'm not going to point them out, but in this, this area over here. Like, they had kids. They know what it's like. Talk to them about what it's like to make sacrifices and, and things like that for things that are a priority to them. They have so much to, to give us. Um, so, sorry if you guys get hounded at the end of the service. Okay, make the best use of the time because your days are evil, guys. The days are evil. Wake up. We're trying to seed into eternity here, not just the next 60 years. And let your speech always be gracious. We're supposed to walk this way, season with salt, so that you may know how... 
so that you, you may know how you ought to answer each person. Um, all I'm going to say on that is conduct is not the only thing. We also have to uh, speak as well. We have to pair our conduct with the way we talk. The Bible is clear on, on the way we walk and looking like Jesus, and it boils it down into two categories like gate analysis does. Those categories are death or life. You walk as a living dead, like a zombie, or you actually walk in life, in the land of the living. Or darkness and light. In Genesis 48, Jacob is blessing, he's starting to bless his sons and receive blessing and, and bless them. And he, and, he, and he almost starts to build a theology of walking, of, of looking like Jesus. And he says, and he says uh, my forefathers walked with God. He uses this terminology. And then in, in Exodus 14, we have this, this whole people of God they approach the Red Sea, and the Red Sea is water like that in the, in the scriptures. It represents like chaos and tumult and, and, and just uh, spiritual darkness sometimes. Right? Remember Genesis, like the spirits hovering over the waters uh, of the deep? And, and it represents this in Exodus 14. And, and, and then God splits the waters, and they walk through on what? Dry ground. They walk through on dry ground. It's this like baptism of the people of God, and, and, and they walk through on dry ground. And in, in Leviticus 26, and in the Old Testament, in Leviticus 26, you have this whole kind of theology almost of, of God walking among us, and God saying, I will walk among you. I'll walk with you. I'll, I'll be with you. I'll walk, I'll walk among you. If you remember from the 90s, those of you who are old enough, like the footprints of Jesus thing that everyone had in their home and stuff, yeah, yeah, you know what I'm talking about, yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, like, that, like it's, Le it's Leviticus 26, Jesus walking with you, God walking among you, so that you can be a light to outsiders for others to see, right? Deuteronomy 26, 28, uh, and chapter 28 picks up on this as well. It says that we who walk with God are his treasured possession. We're his treasured possession. And when people see us in Deuteronomy 28, they fear the Lord. It gives him glory. Like that's, that's really beautiful. So you see this biblical theology starting to develop in the first five books of the Bible. Then you go to First and Second Kings, and it's all about this king and this leader and this king and this leader walking this way, walking that way. Um, some walk in the path of wickedness. Some walk in the way of the righteous, of righteousness. Right? And you have some kings do some things and some leaders do other leaders. But then you get to Psalm, Psalm 1 and it says, Blessed, blessed is the one who walks not in the counsel of the wicked. So we see that blessing comes from walking in the way of the righteous. And then in Psalm 23 you have, anyone know Psalm 23? Even though I walk... Through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. Jesus, you are with me. God, you are with me. And, and you are my comforter. And then, and then in Psalm 50, <coughs> excuse me, in Psalm 56, you get this amazing picture of, of death. And he says, we used to once walk in that. Like, like we, were, we were in this death, but now we walk in the light of life with God. 
And so you have this motif of death and life and darkness and light. And then Psalm 116 says, we can walk in the land of the living. It says we get to walk in the land of the living. So then you get to Isaiah chapter 2, and Isaiah chapter 2 says, uh, come, let us go up to the mountain of the Lord, to the house of the God of Jacob. Let, us, let him teach us his ways that we may walk in his paths. Let him teach. It's, a, it's the church, guys. That's the church in Isaiah chapter 2. It's the mountain. It's Zion. It's the mountain of the Lord, and, and we get to walk in those paths. He gets to teach us. In Isaiah chapter 9, you have um, the people have seen, uh, the people are in great darkness, and they've seen what? They've seen a light right? Peter quotes this later, and he calls it a marvelous light, right? We, they've, they've, the people in great darkness have seen this glorious light appear. And then, and then Isaiah, Isaiah chapter uh, 50. Actually, let's, let's go back. Isaiah 35. Isaiah 35, I love this passage. It talks about it talks about Jesus, or not Jesus, it talks about God establishing the way of holiness. And he calls it the highway of holiness. All right, like this, which reminds me of Highway to Heaven, if you guys remember that show. Anybody, you, you know what I'm talking about. <laughs> this, uh, yeah, it, 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 the highway of holiness. And he says, guess what? There's no lions on there. The, the verse actually says this. There's no lions. It reminds you of, of Peter, right, where he says, the devil prowls around like a roaring lion. He says, there's no lions on this highway. There's no beasts to devour you, because this way belongs to the righteous. It belongs to those who walk in the ways of the Lord, who've been taught by him, and, and on it is exceeding abundant joy, and it will be yours. And then Isaiah chapter 4, he says, run, don't grow weary. Uh, walk, and you won't grow faint. faint. And, and in Isaiah chapter 50, it's so beautiful, because he says, <clears throat> he says, for those of you guys who are like, well, that sounds great, but I'm in the darkness. How do I get out of the darkness? In Isaiah chapter 50, he says, if you're in the darkness, ask God for the light. Rely on his name, trust in his name, call out to him, and rely on God, and he'll show you the light. Because we were all... If you're a follower of Jesus in here, you were once in darkness. Ephesians chapter 5 says you're actually a child of darkness. It says you were darkness. It's only by the grace of God that we are now light. So you have this beautiful picture in Isaiah chapter 50, this, this call to people who are in darkness to come into the light. And then all the prophets pick up on this, right? Ezekiel, Daniel, Micah, Hosea, Zechariah, Zephaniah, Amos, they all talk about walking in wisdom and walking light. Proverbs says the, the way you become wise is you walk with the wise. Uh, you know, so you have all these passages in the Old Testament, and then you get to Jesus in Matthew chapter 14 and in Mark chapter 6, and what is Jesus doing in those passages? What is he walking? Where is he walking? What is he walking on? Water. He's not splitting it anymore. He's walking on top of it. He's conquered the chaos. He's conquered the tumult. He's conquered the darkness. He's walking on top of the water. Guys, such an amazing, beautiful picture of what Jesus can do for you. That he can conquer those things for you. And then, 
And then in Romans 13, right, the passage we talked about earlier, he says, we walk as in, properly as in the daytime now. And he urges us to do that. Awake. Salvation is nearer to you now than you first believed. Walk as properly as in the daytime. And then in, and then in uh, 2 Corinthians 5, he says, what do we walk by? He says, we don't walk by sight. What do we walk by? Faith. Right? Because he's like, Peter, he went to try to walk on the waves, and he started seeing the chaos, and he started sinking. He says, don't walk like that. Walk by faith, not by sight. And then Galatians 5, walk in step with the Spirit. And then, and then we have uh, Colossians here. And then you have Ephesians. He says so many things in Ephesians. Walk in the good works prepared before, beforehand for you in Ephesians chapter 2. In Ephesians chapter 4, he says um, walk, walk, in, walk in light. Uh, Ephesians chapter 5, walk as a child of light. He says Ephesians chapter 5, also walk in love. Walk in wisdom. Right? This passage is walk in wisdom. First, first Thessalonians, he says, walk in a manner worthy of your calling. Like how, like all this is this walking, uh, beautiful picture of how we're to model Jesus as a church. And then two more guys. First John one says, "As he is in the light, walk in the light." And what happens when you do that? You will have fellowship among one another. That's the church. That's Isaiah chapter two. Fellowship happens. Community happens. We get to do it together. This morning in our pre-service huddle, we all linked arms and I said, "Hey, let's walk together." And we all walk together. We look like fools. We all walk together. And I said, that's a picture of the church. We're just fools trying to stay together for Jesus and point people to him, right? Like, that's, that's first John. Then Revelation chapter 21, at the very end of time, the very end of things, when Jesus has come back and he's rescued us fully, right? He has, he has rescued the church. We've persevered. Our salvation is complete. He says... There's no more need of sun. There's no more need of the sun. Why? Because the light is the glory of God. And the nations walk in it. And there shall be no more darkness. That's what Jesus offers us today. And so if you're not a follower of Jesus in here this morning, you can walk in the light. Exceeding abundant joy can be yours. If you're a follower of Jesus today and you're just at that threshold, that whole house is waiting for you, guys. That whole abundant life is waiting for you. Step into that this morning as we, as we celebrate it and go into our response time. Jesus, thank you for your word. Thank you that it is magnificent, that it is glorious, that it is beautiful. Do your work in us this morning by the power of your spirit. We ask in your name. Amen. If you want to know more about the TLC community, check out trinitylife.ca or you can find us on Facebook. Of course, we'd way rather meet you in person, so we hope to see you at a service soon.